Galatians, and we're going to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 tonight. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announcing the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we have the words of Scripture in our hands. We pray that we might have them in our hearts and that we might learn from them. Give us a glimpse tonight of what you would have us know afresh, maybe. Maybe something we need to relearn. Give us understanding, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 3 of uh, this chapter, and of course, Paul didn't write in chapters, he was writing a letter, he didn't put chapter 3, now I'm starting here, it was just a letter. But it helps us to break things up as we read them. But So in our verse 3 of uh, Galatians 3, after beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? In other words, I, after beginning with God's strength, are you now trying to finish in your own strength? In other words, having begun with faith, why have you gone back to religion? Uh, earlier on in our series, I don't know if you were here or not, but David Sylvester spoke uh, from chapter 1. And he used an illustration of the great Blondin. Anyone were here when he talked about the tightrope walker? Very famous tightrope walker. And most famous for his crossing of the Niagara Falls Gorge with no safety net. He did it a number of times. He did it in different variations. He did it blindfolded. He did it on stilts. He did it with a wheelbarrow. On one occasion, he sat down halfway and cooked an omelette. 
Another time he stood on a chair with only one of the chair legs balanced on the rope. And most famously of all, he carried a volunteer across the Niagara Falls Gorge on his back. Amazing. Imagine then that most famous of exploits when he carried someone on his back, a volunteer. If that person halfway across had said, put me down, I don't think you can get me to the other side, I'll do this on my own. You and I might think, what an idiot. How foolish can you get? You're mad. That's the kind of feeling I get from Paul as he begins this chapter. He's incredulous. He cannot believe that those that he's writing to, the people that he he preached the gospel to, those Gentile believers are now considering abandoning faith in Christ alone and supplementing it with their own works. Works of the law. They've been influenced by a pressure group. They're called Judaizers. Who are saying, actually, if you want to be a true Christian, you have to be circumcised because Jesus was a Jew. You have to be a Jew as well. And you have to observe the works of the law. Otherwise, you won't be saved. And they've begun to be taken in by this false doctrine, this heresy. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul has been forthrightly defending his mission and his message because he believes that actually the gospel is at stake. This is believed to be the first, earliest writings in the New Testament that we have, that were written first, before the gospels, Paul's letters. He is defending the truth of the gospel, the principle of grace, That faith in Christ alone justifies, makes us right with God, not works. So for him, the value of Christ's death on the cross is at stake. So here in our chapter 3, he addresses the Galatians directly about their unfaithfulness to the gospel. That's what he sees it is like, they're being unfaithful to the gospel. They're running after other things as a result of the corrupting influence of the false teachers. Notice his pastoral approach. You know, he's always gentle with people. You idiots. (laughs) Foolish Galatians. Crazy Galatians, says Eugene Peterson in the message. I thought it was going to be a bit more, you know, punchy than that. I thought, what does Eugene Peterson translate? Crazy J.B. Phillips translates, you dear idiots. This is so foolish. Paul wonders whether they've been bewitched by some sorcerer. Bewitched. He knows that they've been deceived, for sure, by the devil. Jesus called the devil a liar. And the father of lies. John 8 verse 44. Paul knows that they've been lied to. They've been told 
to be saved, really, you need to observe the law. And it was focused on circumcision, which is why it crops up so much in the letter. Having embraced the truth of the gospel at the very beginning, and the gospel being that the guilty sinners are justified, saved, rescued by grace alone, faith in Christ Jesus, nothing to add, all done. The unmerited favor of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Now, they have believed the lie that it's not enough. That somehow we need to earn it. Somehow we need to add to what Jesus has done. To make up the balance. Even circumcision. Paul argues that their new position is actually a contradiction of the gospel. He sees it as that radical. It's not like, well, we'll have Jesus but a little bit more. He says, no, you've lost it all if you, if you believe that. Christ is all that we need. Christ Jesus crucified. He says, before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. It's one of the marks of Paul's preaching. He just preaches Christ crucified. That's his message. Jesus died for us that we might be free. And we know, because we've read the Gospels, that when Jesus died, he says it's finished. It's finished, paid in full. It's one of the cries from the cross. Christ's work on the cross, that perfect offering of his perfect life, is enough. He didn't say, well, now go and earn this. If you've watched the film Saving Private Ryan, it's an amazing film of a rescue of this man from war. And right at the end, the guy's saying, go and earn this now. What an awful thing to say to him. So the rest of his life, he has to make up for what he's received, that rescue he's received. He's got to make himself worthy of it. Imagine if Jesus has died on the cross and said, now go and earn this. We would never be able to. How could we earn it? Paul is beside himself because he knows the gospel is something to be received. Tell me something, says Paul. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because he knows they received the Holy Spirit. When they believed in Jesus, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. How did you receive it? By believing or achieving it? By faith or by works of the law, he knows they received it by faith because you can't receive. You can't earn the Holy Spirit. You can't pay for the Holy Spirit. You see that in Acts. There are people who say, Give me, can I buy the Holy Spirit? He knows the answer. Did God work miracles among you because somehow you earned them or were they given to you as a response to faith? The answer is, of course he knows it's a response to faith. We don't understand about the miraculous. We pray for the miraculous. We've seen the miraculous, but we've not ever earned the miraculous. As if there was something we could do to make it happen. No, it's by faith. They received the Spirit because they believed the gospel. They saw miracles because of God's grace. 
and he is incredulous that they now turn back to works. And we're the same. We're incredulous, aren't we? How on earth can you turn back to works when you've known Jesus? When you've known the liberating grace of the gospel, how can you fall back into thinking, I've got to earn this? But the church does again and again and again and again throughout church history because we make it about us and not about what Christ has done. To turn back to works, there's no assurance. There's no freedom. There's no grace. That's why he says it's utter foolishness, stupidity, crazy, idiotic. Be like me getting through halfway through the Alpha course. Now, if you want to receive Christ Jesus as your Savior, this is what you've got to do. Go out and earn it. And some people would be happier with that. Oh, that's something I can do. Can I do that? That's why some people find faith so difficult because you've just got to admit you're a lost sinner. You just have to receive grace. Some people find it really hard to receive grace. I've got to earn it. See it on Alpha Win the Food. We, wonderful people prepare wonderful food. And say, well, I've got to pay for it, haven't I? No, no, it's free. It's a gift. Oh, no, no, let me pay for it. No, no, it's a gift. I feel better if I paid for it. It's free. And then there's a master stroke in verse 6. Paul refers to Abraham. Why is this a master stroke? Because the false teachers always look to Moses. Moses was their hero. Because he received the law from God, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws. got to keep these and Paul reaches further back than Moses although he'll include Moses but he reaches further back to Abraham and quotes from Genesis 15 verse 6 give you a recap Abraham was an old man and childless but God had promised him a son one day God took Abraham out of his tent and told him to look up at the stars in the sky and he said so shall your descendants be and through you all nations will be blessed then he said to Abraham this is what I want you to do to earn it no he didn't but Believed God, took him at his word. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, Joseph, and Moses. And then through the line we come, God himself comes in Christ Jesus, the perfect Israel. What happened to Abraham? It was God's initiative. God made the promise. Abraham believed the promise. Neither circumcision nor the law had yet been given. That's why it's a masterstroke. These false teachers saying, you need the law, you need to do this, do that, to earn your salvation. Not a bit of it. He says, Abraham just believed. It was credited to him as righteousness. Grace always comes first with God. Always. 
Same actually was true of Moses. Moses received grace before he received the law. The law was given so that God's people might live for him. It wasn't given to say, well, if you live like this, then you'll be my people. And Paul actually knows that you can't keep the law. The law is there to point you to your need of a savior. And then Paul says something quite radical. Again, it may be lost in time, and to you it's not really. Real children of faith, real children of faith, real children of Abraham are those who believe. Who have faith. Who have received God's promise. Who have received God's saviour. Who is the saviour Christ Jesus. So he refers back to Abraham. But Moses too, when God rescues Israel, he saves them and he says, go live for me. Here are my instructions for a good and godly life. And we have Jesus' teaching for a good and godly life. But not as a chart to say, oh, I can be saved if I keep these beatitudes. I can be saved if I do what this. No, we're saved by just receiving the grace of God. You foolish Galatians, you are already children of Abraham by faith, not by works. Don't throw it away. Don't be deceived. And maybe the church again and again needs to hear that message. The scandal of grace can anyone be saved just by believing God? Yeah. The scandal of grace. Can someone's sins be all forgiven just by believing in Christ Jesus? Yeah. Scandal of grace. Do you know what that sometimes offends good people? Scandal of grace offends good people because, well, don't we deserve it? Because we've been good. Not good enough. Can never be good enough. God's grace can only be received. Not earned. So in a few moments we're going to share in communion where we just say thank you to Jesus for dying for us on the cross. Maybe for tonight it's just for you to say, Jesus, I want to receive this as if for the very first time again. Just remind me the first moment I received the gospel when I knew it was just free. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to. I just had to say, Jesus, I need you. Please come into my life. What is the gospel? The gospel is Christ crucified. It's the finished work of Jesus. All we need for salvation is found in Christ alone. And in preaching the gospel, we must always refer to that event. I heard Billy Graham preach. He didn't say a lot, but I know he talked about the cross of Jesus Christ. 
It wasn't the most erudite sermon I'd ever heard. It wasn't the most technical message I'd ever heard. But he talked about the cross, and you know what? Thousands responded. What does the gospel offer? Justification. Acceptance with God, salvation, rescue. We are not condemned. That's what justification means. You're not condemned. You're accepted. It's the opposite of condemnation, justification. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Christ in us. God is closest to us. What does the gospel require? The proper answer is nothing. Not for our salvation. But because we love God and we're so grateful for his rescue of us, the overflow will be seen in our love for him. And as we love Christ, we want to live for him. To seek to be obedient to his commands because we love him, we want to honor him. And the fruit of the Spirit will grow out of that desire to be more Christ-like and allow his Spirit to work in us. But what does the gospel require? Just to be received and believed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this amazing gift of the gospel, the good news. To know that we're not condemned by you, but accepted just because we believed in you, Jesus. We believe that you lived on this earth, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, you're coming again. We believe in you, Jesus. Our hope is in you, in nothing else, in no one else. Certainly not in ourselves. You are everything we need. And as we prepare to share communion, this cup, this bread, We remember the words that you spoke to your disciples. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We come as your children. And receive afresh in this bread and this cup, God's amazing grace to each one of us that sets us free. And if anyone of us needs assurance tonight that we are saved, that we are rescued, then may the scriptures speak to your very heart. Christ is all you need. It is finished. We bless your name, Lord. 
So come, Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts as we take this simple meal yet again. Maybe we've taken it hundreds and hundreds of times, but tonight may it be as if for the very first time we have received the good news. We have been rescued. Our destiny is assured. Our names are written in your book. Even though we die, we will live with you. And when we, you come again, we will live with you on the new heaven and new earth. And it be made perfect. We're going to stay seated as we sing this next song, as we prepare to share in this simple meal.